right. So we're going back to Colossians. I'm finally getting a chance to go back into my series where I left, believe it or not, at the end of last year. <laughs> Been taking me some time to kind of get back to my comfort zone of line by line preaching. Amen. Uh, had a pretty long stint of topical preaching, and the Lord has allowed me to grow in that area. And now I'm going back um, to Colossians, the second chapter, starting at the 18th verse. Uh, 18 through 23, we may do a little bit more. Um, I don't know if, you, if I gave you all the way to the 23rd verse. I might not have done that by accident. But uh, I will read it, and you can read along with me in your Bibles. And I hope that you are bringing your Bibles. Amen? Amen. Colossians 2, 18 through, I believe, 23. The Word of God reads, Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Amen? You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Amen? Um, so why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise, because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Loaded. Loaded, loaded. Say with me, running with the right focus. Running with the right focus. I've been thinking about how we're going to get back into this series, and... Um, the Lord caused me to pause at this certain verse right here in the, uh, the second chapter, the 18th verse. And we left off right before going into the third chapter where Paul instructs the church about holy living. But when I look at the layout of Colossians, it's pretty ingenious what the Holy Spirit has done. The Holy Spirit has created you. He knows you. Amen. He understands how we think. He understands how sin has affected us. He understands God's intention for us. He understands what would happen to us if we would never fall in sin. He understands the disconnect that we have because of sin. And he also understands the method methodology of how to bring us back to God. He understands everything. He's all-knowing. He's not surprised by anything you've done. He understands how we got there. He knows the influences, he knows the traps, he knows the cells, the jailhouses that we've been in. He knows all that stuff, and he knows how to pull us right out. Amen? But before we get into that, Paul instructs in this letter the believer as to how to be bulletproofed, a term that Pastor Rick kind of taught me. I love that guy because he, he, he comes up with some gems. Bulletproofing the believer, right, Pastor Rick? 
So, you know, y'all been in Oakland, you know. <laughs> we want to teach that crowd what that is, okay? All right. But before we can become consistent in the third chapter where he talks about how we are to live holy, we must be consistent in godly thinking, okay? So godly living requires consistent godly thinking. Consistent godly living requires consistent godly thinking, okay? All right, in the second chapter, Paul points out that there is an enemy to godly thinking. And the enemy does, my dad used to always say, the enemy never shows up to your door and says, by the way, see this red suit, see this tail, see this horns, see this pitchfork, I am the devil and I'm here to disrupt your life or to do wreak havoc in your Christianity or whatever. He never does that. He always uses subtle tactics. Okay? Subtle tactics. Now, let me just review really quickly, just so you can get caught up to speed and bring us back. Okay, so the Church of Colossae got started around AD 52, 53. During this time, there was a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras goes to Ephesus, uh, Ephesus, rather, right, where Paul is starting the Ephesians church, and he hears the gospel, gets saved, runs back to the town of Colossae, okay, and ends up preaching the word after he gets saved, and before you know it, the Colossians church is formed, okay? But some time passes, and Epaphras goes back, and he visits Paul while Paul is in jail in Rome this time, okay, and he's in prison for sharing the gospel, of course we know that, and Epaphras has some bad news to tell the Apostle Paul. And the bad news is that we start this church. I heard your teaching. No, you weren't there in the, you know, the infrastructure of the church. You know, but pretty much the gospel has spread over there. And we got some church folks and we are you know, locked down solid. But there's this teaching that has slipped into the church. And I really don't know what to do about it. So I'm coming to my mentor... Apostle Paul, and Apostle Paul writes the, the letter of Colossians in order to address the specific issue and encourage the believers, hear me good when I say this, towards maturity in Christ. Amen? Maturity in Christ. Nobody else. Okay? So Paul wastes no time. I'm just going to briefly kind of take you through a little portion of Colossians 1 into chapter 2, just so you kind of understand what's happening here. Paul wastes no time in the very beginning of his letter, and he points out, first thing and foremost, and I taught it last year, the supremacy of Christ. Christ is above all. He's bigger and badder. He's got all the authority. No one can stop him. There is no need for any substitutes. Why go to lower management to get things done? When you got Christ seated in his position and he can do anything he wants. Are you hearing me? He can affect change. He can do miracles. He can change hearts. He can transform minds. Amen? Amen. And so what ends up happening is after he lays out this whole spill of who Christ Jesus is and why we ought to be grateful for the supremacy of Christ, Paul says this in Colossians 1, 19-24. Colossians 1, 19 through 24. 
Ruth just sang it, didn't know she was getting ready to sing it. Interesting. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything. That means you and I. Everything. To himself, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood, his sacrifice on the cross. This includes you, verse 21, who were far away from God. Amen. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And here's the point I want you to hear. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are now holy, blameless, and you stand before him without a single fault. I must just sit there and let that hit you. Do you believe that? That's the question. Do you believe that you stand before God because of what Christ has done and what he has paid for on the cross, nailing everything you've ever done to the cross, everything? Do you believe that right now you are standing before God in a position of being blameless and without any fault? Think about your record. Everything without a single fault. But then he questions it. He, he cautions you because here's the second, here's the other side of it. Verse 23. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in that truth. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Amen? So whatever was preached, if it was the gospel, you repented of your sins, you trusted in Christ Jesus, amen? You are now saved. You stand before God without a single fault. Now, your battle is to continue to believe that truth. Amen? Now, then in the second chapter, Colossians 2 and 5, Paul immediately sets up what the church should be focusing on. Because we can get busy and think it's about all kinds of stuff. Okay? What we need to do, Pastor. I got, you know, I've been thinking. Well, Paul lays it out for us very simply. Colossians 2, 5, the Living Translation says this. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you and I rejoice, number one, that you are living as you should and that your faith is strong in Christ. Your faith in Christ is strong. So evidently, there are two main things that Paul is saying he can rejoice on. Why can he rejoice? Because he can tell that by these two things, the Holy Spirit is in activation. He is moving and ruling that church, ruling those people. What is it? Number one, they are living holy like God expects them to. Amen? And they are strong in the faith in Christ. They are, their faith in Christ is strong. I believe in Christ. I'm solid in Christ. I'm rooted and grounded in Christ. Amen? And I'm living a holy life. I'm up here. All right? That's it. He doesn't mention anything else. 
He doesn't mention anybody else. So for Paul to feel good about a church, he knows that there are two things we need to be focusing on. And then right after that, he tells them the process. The very next verse, Colossians 2 and 6, says this. And now that just as you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. I want you to notice how many times it says him there. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. What's the result of that, Paul? Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Skip down to Colossians 2 and 10, same chapter. Just kind of taking us through this up into the 18th verse where we left off. Colossians 2 and 10. So you are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and every authority. So we got some points here. Point number one, what's your focus? Living as you should and having your faith strong in Christ. What's the process? You're going to grow in him as you continue to follow him, letting your roots flow down into him and letting your lives be built on him. What's the assurance that we have? That we are already complete through our union with Christ, who is ahead over every authority. Amen? He is the ruler. But before he says all of that, he gives the purpose for the letter, which is right above verse 4, I mean verse 5, into verse 4. And he says this, Colossians 2 and 4. I'm telling you all this, saints, so that no one will deceive you <laughs> with well-crafted arguments. So there's the backdrop, and I did it backwards so you could feel the impact of that. Okay? He's saying you're secure in Christ. You're saved. Amen? He gives you your focus. You have assurance. You're complete. You must stand on that truth. You must follow that truth. You must not waver and drift away from that truth. Amen? And you must know this. The enemy is coming with everything he's got. To try to get you to get distracted and off focus while you're running this race. Running the right race with the right focus. Amen? <laughs> So in this letter, uh, one of my favorite theologians said this. He said, basically he's saying there are going to be people, okay, that are there in your life to intentionally distract you. Wow. Barnes says it this way. There have always been clever people, I love this, in the church. <laughs> not at the school board. Amen. No, no, not, not, not your, your co-op and, you know, where you're playing golf and whatever you're trying to do. And not, not there. He said, in the church. Whose object has been to spoil, and I love this, the simplicity of the faith. Did you catch that? The simplicity of the faith. They have had their fancies in respecting holy days, new moons, Sabbath days, 
These people are geniuses at promoting demonic deception. Amen. They will not allow the simplicity of Christ to stand in its own majesty. So the apostle cautions the Christian worshipers against any foolishness from these inventive people that come to pull away from you. Now, in the same chapter, I want you to go to Colossians 2.18, I believe it is, in the King James Version, real quickly. I'm going to teach out of two different versions today because I think both of them have some rather gifted insights. And in the King James Version, it reads this way. Let no man beguile you, interesting word, of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. So here's the idea. The word beguile kind of goes like this. Let me set it up. Let's say that I have been promised by mommy and daddy right after high school, I'm 16, 17, 18 years old, whatever it depends, you know, whatever, I, if I skipped a few sub subjects or not, or if I got held back. <laughs> but by the time I get 18, they have come to me and they said, listen, little Jamie, what we're going to do is I'm going to get you a car. But it's predicated on you finishing college. Right? Some people have had it like that. Some folks have said, you know, listen, so let's just let's, let's bring it up. I'm going to get you a luxury ride. We black up in here. So let me get you a Cadillac. <laughs> Sorry, Rick. <laughs> let me get you a caddy. It's going to be smooth. You're going to be rolling. All you got to do is hang in there to the end of college. And so you sweat it out. You do whatever you have to, go through all the hard subjects. And on the last day of college, when you get ready to graduate, in the driveway is this beautiful Cadillac in your favorite color. You did it. Got your diploma. Congratulations. We're making good on our promise. You have persevered. So what do you do? Well, you do what every other young person will do. You call your friends. And you say, I'm coming to get you in my new ride. I can't believe it. That's what I would do. So I call my friends, and we're going to roll deep. I get in my car, get on the freeway, pull off the exit to my first friend's house. It's going to be about three or four of them. Right? Pull off to my first friend's house, come to the stoplight before I get ready to turn on their street. Some goons come out of nowhere in ski masks and guns, point the gun in my face and say, get out the car. What do I do? I get out the car. They steal my ride. They don't care how long it's taken me to get to this point. I've worked hard. I've been disciplined. I've obeyed my parents. I've persevered. I've gone through all kinds of stuff just to get through college because I know this car is coming. I get to my reward and someone at a stoplight steals my reward from me. 
I never get a chance to celebrate. The word beguile means to rob. Rob. The word beguile means let no man beguile you of your reward. That's how people who come to you with lies that are not the truth of Scripture, that's what they do to you. The Holy Spirit is telling us you're being robbed. Wow. You're being robbed. They teach things that are not true and they take your reward. But here's the thing. You've been faithfully serving God, walking with God, growing in the word, and then somebody comes with some interesting doctrines and seems to state that you're not doing enough. You're too lax in your religious practices. You're not as connected to God as you should be. And they have a deeper understanding than you of how to get to God, how to relate to God, how to focus on God, how to stay with God than you. And you should follow their example. He's saying to you, you're being robbed. Wow. Wow. Back to the New Living Translation. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on self-pious, uh, pious self-denial or worship of angels. Verse 18 says, saying they are, they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds are proud. Amen? They're saying, listen, the idea was this shaman walked into the church and he's got some ideas about He's, you know, how, you know, how to include mysticism into the church. Some of the things, the same thing they were just talking about. All that astrology and all that kind of stuff and Ouija's and everything. He's got some ideas about how we can reach God. And back in the day in Colossians, what they were talking about is there was this idea that there was levels of angels that you had to go through in order to talk to God. So we don't just need Jesus. <laughs> no, what we need is we need to go through angel number one, and then angel number two, and then angel number three. And we got all these folks between us and our relationship with God. <laughs> and that's the only way you can get a prayer through. That's the only way you can get to know God. That's the only way you can grow in Christ. And they're saying, you need to listen to me because I'm mystical. Now, we've all had our run-in with what we call super deep saints. You've met them. I know you have. They know Jesus more than anybody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What you got to do is you got to do this, and what you got to do is you got to do that. No, oh no, that's not enough. And then there comes this pious self-denial that comes this, this, this behavior where, you know, I'm going to actually do terrible things to myself in order to impress God or deny myself of several things in order to impress God enough that he'll talk to me. So I abstain from everything. You know, I was talking to the Lord and he said, fried chicken needs to be... It's, it's not of God. I was talking to the Lord and roller skating is not of God. If we roller skate... I pulled away from everything. I just, 
I don't do anything anymore. I don't do anything anymore. Why? Because I'm denying myself of everything so that I can connect with Jesus. What happens is the mystical people not only tell you what they think as far as their mystical deep theology, what they do is they always add on this really hard lifestyle that comes along with it. And we've seen it in some of the earlier days of church as we grew up. Couldn't do nothing. You went swimming, you're going to hell. Don't you know that chlorine is against God? Some, see, I don't know. I heard stories about that stuff. But the way, see, the way I experienced it is the people that were running from that ended up coming to my dad's church. Because they, they were running out of the church because the, the church was so harsh about everything. You couldn't do nothing. But what they, what they did not realize is they were setting up a system of superiority in the church to where you had to go through them and their ideas and their lifestyle and repeat everything that they were doing in order to get to God and left Jesus completely out of the picture. Now you're coming through me instead of Jesus. Wow. Angels. In Colossians 2.15 it says this, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them all. He's saying, I don't care what angel you think you're praying to, Jesus is over everything. He's over everything. Don't go to lower management to manage your Christianity. Go straight to God. He's triumphed over everything. He is he's the big boss. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we have because, not because of our own righteousness, we have because of, of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we have direct access to him where we can go straight to God without any of that other stuff. But you will always have people planted in the church who come with these complexities that try to make the very simple gospel something that we get derailed from. William McDonald says it this way, by his death on the cross, he subsequent and his subsequent resurrection and ascension, the Lord Jesus also conquered evil powers, making a spectacle of them and triumphing over them. Angels are over his authority, under his authority. We believe that the same triumph that is described in Ephesians 4, where the Lord Jesus said is said to have left captivity captive. His death, burial, and resurrection and ascension were a glorious triumph over all the hosts of hell and Satan. <laughs> over all angelic powers. He is over everything. As he passed through the atmosphere, on his way up to heaven, he passed through the very domain of the prince of the power of the air. He's above him. We don't have to be afraid of Satan. We don't have to pray to angels. We don't have to go get some priests to come talk to God for us. We don't have to worship on certain holidays and add all this extra stuff to us that makes it so where we're focusing more on those things than Jesus Christ. Those things will cause you to run your race hard. They will weigh you down. You do not have time to have all these extra people in the relationship between you and God. Amen. De demons are disarmed by God. 
Jesus has, can take things out of their possession. Are you hearing me? There are things that the enemy has held captive that rightfully belong to you. Jesus disarms him and takes whatever he was holding back out of his possession. And now if you want to get what God has for you, you go straight to the king. Amen? No other power in the world but God can snatch you out of the hand of the enemy. So if God is already pleased with you because of what Jesus Christ has done, don't go through anybody else. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm trying to encourage you this morning. Amen. Now here's the thing. Ah, he says their sinful minds, you know, they have all these ideas about, you know, things. They say, they, they say they've had visions. <laughs> I've seen deep things. I was talking to the Lord yesterday when I was having some crackers. And he spoke to me and told me some things that are really, really deep. And I've had visions about these things. And I need to tell you about it. He's saying here, he said in verse 18, their sinful minds have made them proud. I'll never forget. I was a young guy and there was a, how do I say this, Lord? Thank you, Father. There was a family that came to our church. And this family claimed to have a real gift, or should I say a real grip on the Holy Spirit. And they were holding training courses. And the end of it was a big fallout because people started trusting more in them than God himself. Now, here's the thing. In the King James Version, it says... They come with a voluntary humility. Meaning that what they do is they speak in a way that says that they really reverence God. God is holy. God is so amazing. We can't get to him. And that's why we need to do all these other extra things. But their humble approach is one of those things where it makes it seem like they are really under the, the, the uh, how do I put it? They're really under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the truth of the matter is they use it as a trick to basically catch you off guard so you don't recognize that they really have a proud spirit. It's a false humility. It's not real. They just cloak themselves in humility when the truth of the matter is they want to attract people to themselves and pull you away from what God is really saying to you. Amen? And then another way you see it is this. Every now and then you run into an amazing preacher that claims to have some new formula on things. Right? You know, we get these movements. You know, these, these, these subtle movements where everybody jumps from one church to the other because somebody has figured out God. Amen? And so they have a huge following and people begin to believe that there's some new movement that God has started. And not long after that, you start to hear the telltale signs that there's sin in the camp all the way up to leadership. 
and the whole thing begins to crumble. And the folks end up confused, and eventually they scatter, and they have to go right back to the place where the folks are actually teaching the truth in order to come and be healed. Pastor Rick used to always say to me all the time, he said, we kind of hold the line, Jamie. We just kind of stand in the truth because when the people come out of the deception, they're going to have to have some place to go. You know what I mean? So you keep teaching the truth in, so, in such a way to where they actually will hear what God is saying. But the thing is, is they get caught up in these movements and these people who appear to be very humble. Amen? They appear to be really, really in tune with God. And the truth is, is you really never needed their new extra little addition to the truth that they were adding. That's why we got to know our word for ourselves. And that's why we got to stick to the principles. Strong faith in God. Living your life as you should. Trusting in, in the assurance of God that we are one with Christ. Amen. That all those things are already taken care of. You bulletproof yourself in the truth that you are already taught. That way when someone comes with some new idea, you can recognize it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the marks of being beguiled is you are robbed. There's a thief there. Amen. And Paul told the early church in Acts, I believe, 20, the leaders there, he said, that after he leaves, savage wolves will come into the church. Yes. And they will come to try to take the church and make disciples after themselves. They steal because they are under the influence of the devil. In 18, it says, in 18 it says this. Uh, their minds are proud. And in verse 19 it says, they are not connected to Christ who is the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and its ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. So here's the thing. In Colossians, Paul is telling the people, listen, the way that you're going to grow in God is that you're connected to the head. And what the enemy comes to do is he tries to disconnect you from following Christ by adding all these new things that really don't matter. So you got a ton of religions out there that actually confuse people. One of the things that really broke my heart in ministry, uh, the first thing was is I saw the fighting that was going on in the church. That was hard. It was like no unity. The other thing that broke my heart is I couldn't figure out who was right. <laughs> Christianity had so many Cosby spinoffs that I didn't know who this guy claims he's right, this guy claims he's right, this guy claims he's right. Who has the answer? Amen. Who knows the truth? Well, here's the thing that you got to realize, people. A lot of people are going to add their spin to it, but if you stick to the basics... Strong faith in Christ. Stay connected to the head. Amen. Through the body of Christ, the joints and the bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. What he's basically saying is God is the one that grows the church. As we stay connected to Jesus Christ and keep our eyes on him, we run the race in such a way that we actually don't end up running backwards. So what you got is a lot of people in the church who are thinking they're growing, not realizing because they're adding all these extra things on, they're running like this. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're not moving forward in God. Why? Because you've attached all these other things that don't matter. Uh, 
it is my belief that the enemy comes as soon as you get saved to try to get you to derail yourself from the race that you actually should be running. And he does that by planting people in church ministries, giving them big platforms, making folks famous (laughs) by their teaching, drawing crowds, making you feel like you're missing out on something. Amen? He will work in whatever way he wants to, and he will not let up until you are out of here. The enemy, I want you to know, saints, he doesn't take a break. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you can now say, okay, I don't have to follow Christ anymore. I don't have to persevere in the faith anymore. I don't have to stick to what the truth is anymore. No, you're going to have to do that. He said you're going to actually be in a safe place if you continue to follow him. Amen. Follow the truth that you've been taught. The enemy works in your life situations. He will attack your family. He will attack your finances. He will take your money. He will do whatever he has to do. What is he really after? Your money? No. He's after the faith. He's after what you've been taught. He wants you to start running in a way that doesn't count. Now, here's the thing. You can be saved. Amen? Know the truth. Heard the truth in your 20s. Hear something else that derails you. Not end up coming back to the truth until you're in your 70s. How does that happen? Somebody said something. And it derailed you off the path. Didn't mean you're not saved because you believe the truth. But you ended up being ineffective and running in a way that's actually not like God wants you to run. And the enemy does that because what happens is we get caught up in these new things. These ideas that come from Satan. The believer's warfare is to do this. It's really simple, saints. Stay consistent in the faith that you've been taught. Strive to remember that in every single battle, the enemy is already defeated. Defeated. Verse 20, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings and they deteriorate with the use of them. And these rules seem to be wise but they re- because they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and se- uh, se- uh, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering your evil passions. So what ends up happening is you've got these demons who whisper in the ears of these newfangled people who are under their influence teaching you things that don't go along with Christ, and you have to remember that the enemy is already defeated. He's already been knocked out. Our battle on a consistent basis is to trust in the simple truth of Jesus Christ that we've been taught. It's not that complicated. But you will run backwards if you start getting into all this new stuff. Oh, The enemy has lost his grip on you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He has lost, he he cannot demon possess you. You no longer belong to him. However, that doesn't mean he's done with attacking you. And if he can't have you, then he will attempt to derail you off the path and get you off track for years if he can He can't take you out of the race, but he can trick you from running into running in the wrong direction. He definitely can do that. He complicates the truth. In boxing, there's something that we do uh, 
they always tell you, protect yourself at all times. Amen? Because in boxing, what ends up happening a lot of times is, is maybe somebody throws a few punches, but he's setting up his big punch. Okay? And it may, you can even look like you're losing. Okay? You're setting up your big punch. Amen? You can even look like you're about to be knocked out the pipe. But you're setting up your big punch. And what, one of the big punches that you could throw is called an uppercut. An uppercut landed in the right place. The fight's over. It's over. What I'm trying to explain to you is Jesus, when he went to that cross and he got up from the grave and it looked like he was losing, <laughs> but he got up, I want you to know something. He threw the uppercut. And the enemy, even though he might get up on his feet and try some things every now and then to derail you, he's already defeated. He's already lost. He cannot win. The fight is over. They are counting. Ten, nine, or whatever way they count, all the way up to ten. The enemy is doing all he can, but it's over. You see a fighter just kind of staggering? That's all the enemy can do. He's already lost. But if he can trick you into leaving and forsaking the simple truth of the gospel that you've been taught, that's how he gets you to run the wrong race. When you lose your focus. Amen? When you lose your focus. So why do you keep following rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desire. So we talked about strong in the faith. Now we're going to talk about, real briefly before I'm done, obeying God. Living holy. Remember, those two pillars. Strong in the faith, living holy, living as you should. I don't know about you, but in my own power, I am not good at that. My track record for holiness, there's only one person I can give credit to. And that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The idea that I'm trying to give you here is this. Some of us struggle in the faith because we have all these external things that we depend on. Right? Right? that kind of give us a false idea <laughs> that we are actually following God as we should. But they're external things. A lot of the do's and don'ts. Now, what I want you to understand, as I told you, the construction of this letter is genius because the Holy Spirit in the third chapter is about to tell us a lot of the do's and don'ts. But before he does that, he wants to bulletproof us into understanding how this is actually done. Okay? He's basically saying this. These external things do not help you because they are tools on the outside, but not real development from the Spirit on the inside. Help me, Holy Spirit, say this. For instance, when you have a dog on a leash... 
and you take that dog for a walk in the public, if the dog is not well trained, it's going to do its best to wreak havoc. So you have a leash for a reason, right? You take a dog out, he sees another dog, and he'll try to attack the other dog. You take the dog out, or the dog might run out in the middle of the street and get hit by a car. He's unruly. He's only doing what a dog would do, right? The dog has no idea how to protect himself, <laughs> how to protect you. He's a dog, okay? Some of the dog owners are looking at me like, yeah, Pastor. <laughs> the best that we can do as man is we have an invention called a leash. And the leash restrains the dog from doing what a dog would naturally do. But that leash is an external tool that stops the dog from hurting you, itself, or others. The leash is man-made. Are you following me? Amen? It's something that we use to restrain the animal from following its own nature. Amen? But when God wants to restrain his people, God will never use an external tool to solve an internal problem. Are you hearing me? God sends his spirit to change the nature of the person to where you don't need a leash to keep from acting like you. God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside the person so that the leash is actually on the inside. Amen. And the chain around the neck is actually in the heart. So what happens is, is it's not some kind of man-made device or external holiness tool. It's new desires, new planet desires inside of the believer. It doesn't mean that the old desire is gone. It just means that the new nature and the new desire is stronger. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. So freedom from yourself does not come from a bunch of religious leashes. Are you hearing me? Where you pull yourself aside in your own power and try to restrain yourself from doing what you would naturally do. It does not come from rules and regulations or some ceremonial holidays or Sabbath keeping or dress code or all. I stopped listening to rap. So what? That don't mean your mind ain't filthy. It has to come from inside. And if it's an external tool, that means you're not dealing with the internal problem. Woo! Are you hearing what I'm saying? Freedom from yourself is in the spirit. What does he do? He births new desires that were not there inside of the human heart. So you end up killing your flesh on a daily basis because of who you desire more. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. You put your death, you put to death the nature on a daily basis. God doesn't use external tools 
that are man-made in order to change your heart. He puts his spirit in you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You got these folks. I remember reading about Martin Luther. Martin Luther, before he really received Christ, he was a priest, a monk. Martin Luther would count his sins and couldn't get delivered from his sins. He would beat himself, whip himself, trying to evoke change, cause change in his heart. Where's all this stuff coming from? Until one day he read the book of Galatians. And he realized that it is no, not I, but the Christ that lives within me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen? So what he's saying here before he goes into the third chapter of, you know, treat your neighbor right. You know, display holiness. Stop stealing. You know, live in according, you know, to the gospel. Let, let, let holiness be in your home. You know, deal with your husband a certain way. Deal with your children a certain way. Deal with your wife a certain way. Before he gets into that, he's saying, you're going to have a tendency to listen to these folks that are going to give you these ideas that are external. They don't work. What has to happen is the supremacy of Christ has to be seen. Amen? You have to focus on the essentials. Strong faith in Christ, being rooted and grounded in Christ, letting your lives be built on Christ. Amen? Amen? And then obeying Christ, doing what God says, focusing on those two things, living as you should. He's saying that this is simpler than we have tried to make it. And as you complex, if you, if you, as you add in all these complexities, they end up causing you to run a race that you're not even supposed to be running. It makes it hard. It makes it, I just can't do it. Yeah, because all, it's all your energy. It's your leash. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, when I taught this last time, I went through all the little nicks and crannies, but the Lord told me this time, he said, listen, just tell them the basic idea. The basic idea is this, your tool versus my spirit. Which one are you going to use? Your tool versus my spirit. Which one has really worked? Think about it. The self-control that you have right now, is it because of all your rule keeping? Huh? The holiness that you're living right now, is it because of all your rule keeping? No, we're going to get to the you part in the, in the third chapter. But he said, if you don't get this part in the second chapter first, if you don't understand what Christ has done in the first chapter, if you don't understand who Jesus Christ really is, you will not appropriate that power in such a way that actually it will affect the inside. All you'll have is this external look good holiness that will not change your desires. And what needs to happen is God... Honestly, I can go there. So what I need you to do is I need you to plant some new desires in me when I go there so that I can be victorious. And that's how you win. God convicted me in some areas in my personal life. He's like, listen, Jamie, you're trying to do this in your own power. You're just not strong enough. It's going to take my spirit. When are you going to relax in me? Trust in me to do what I know is already impossible for you to do. God is saying, saints, it's impossible without him. But with him, all things 
possible. Some of us are dealing with hurts and pains. Areas where we need to be delivered. Don't know how to break through. A lot of the problem is, is that we're using our own leash. And the Lord is basically saying to us, look at Christ. Focus on the essentials. Be careful of those that are planted around you to throw you off and get you to run the wrong way. Go back to the simple truth. Amen? The power of the enemy is broken. Our battle every day is to remember that, to believe that, to continue in that, to be firm in that. And when we feel like we're weak, guess what you can do? You can pray for that. How about you? Do you have systems and ideas that you've put in place of the simple truth of the gospel? Are they really working? When will you transform and turn that stuff over to God and say, you know what? I'm going to try this your way. I can't do it on my own. I need your help. I don't want to run this race in the wrong way. I don't want to run this race with distractions. I want to run this race with the right focus. And the focus, saints, is Jesus. He is the focus. Amen. Running with the right focus. I'm kidding.